It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. Evan Roberts here to talk New York Mets baseball with you. We had a little bit of Mets news over the course of the last couple of days. We have a bench coach, John Gibbons, who managed the Toronto Blue Jays on numerous occasions. Did it with a little bit of success because he was the manager of that team in 2015 that got to the ALCS, the team that in 2016 got, I think, to another ALCS. I think they got to -to back-to-back ALCSs in 15 and 16. So a decent manager with the Toronto Blue Jays on numerous occasions. He takes over as the bench coach for Carlos Mendoza. And I think most of us were on the same page that it was important to bring in a guy with experience. If you're going to have a rookie manager, if you're going to have a guy who's never managed at the major league level before, it's smart and it behooves him to have a man with experience on the bench. It would have been cool if it was Willie Randolph. That never seemed to be all that realistic. There were rumors of Phil Nevin coming in. But John Gibbons, who, again, has had success with the Blue Jays, played for the Mets rather briefly in the 80s, seems like a a solid choice as bench coach for the New York Mets. The other stuff going on this week is just rumor. Because we all wait bated breath on Yamamoto to find out, are the Mets going to be the lucky team to end up with Yamamoto and really make this offseason a little bit easier? There are still challenges in rebuilding this roster, but giving yourself that potential ace, that other horse on the other side of Kodai Senga just makes things a lot easier, especially building a rotation. But let's not be fooled. As much as we've talked about adding starting pitching, as much as we've talked about fixing the bullpen and getting it to Edwin Diaz, there are some offensive holes. A few weeks ago, if you missed it, we addressed third base. We did a deep dive on the options at third base, whether it was in free agency or trade or just filling it externally. And I think for the most part, we all kind of agreed that they're probably better off doing an external battle for third base, including Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio. Justin Turner made sense as a short addition as a free agent, but that's not the only position the Mets are dealing with. So on this podcast today, we are really going to explore left field, a position that has not exactly been filled by consistency over the last bunch of years. It just hasn't. Now, Tommy Pham played a lot of left field last year and did a pretty good job until the Mets decided, you know what, we're out of it. (laughs) Let's, Let's trade him away. So they could bring him back. That's certainly one of the options. And I think Tommy Pham mentioned recently that there are 10 teams interested in his services. So assuming the Mets weren't bothered by his comments about this being the least hardworking position player group he's ever seen, Tommy Pham returning seems to be an option. We will look at internal options for the Mets. We will look at external options for the Mets. I think before I just said external in the wrong way. I get it confused sometimes at third base. They should look at external options. No, internal options means Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio. Internal options in left field 
and then external options in left field. Because the truth is, right now, when you look at this Met roster and you look at the 40-man, who's the left fielder? Like, just of the guys on this 40-man roster, who's the opening day left fielder? And the answer is what? DJ Stewart? Right now, the Mets only have, if you look at the position players on their roster, three true outfielders on their 40-man roster. That's it. Three. (laughs) That's a very small number. You're talking about Brandon Nimmo. You're talking about Starling Marte. And you're talking about DJ Stewart. That's it. The only other guy would be Jeff McNeil. And we'll mention him a lot because he is one of those internal options in left field. But right now, the Mets have three true outfielders on their 40-man roster. Starling Marte coming off an injury and a real injury-riddled 2023 season. When he played, he wasn't very productive. The third year of a four-year contract. Brandon Nimmo had a solid year overall. And DJ Stewart, who had a great month, but what can you really expect from DJ Stewart? So let's start here. They obviously can't go into opening day with an outfield of DJ, Nimmo, and Marte. Can we agree on that? That there needs to be additions? Now, as far as Jeff McNeil is concerned, because I think Jeff McNeil is a very, very viable option as a guy to become their everyday left fielder. And all of a sudden, if you're looking at an outfield of McNeil in left, Nimmo in center, Marte in right, with DJ Stewart as your fourth outfielder, it doesn't sound as bad. But upon doing that, you've now created an opening at second base. You have now announced to the world, okay, we fixed left field. Who's the second baseman? Luis Guillorme off this roster. He was non-tendered. Ronnie Mauricio seems to be in the mix to play third base. And if Mauricio is your second baseman, then you're basically handing Brett Beatty the job, which means two-fourths or half of your infield is going to be young players who have a lot to prove in Mauricio and Brett Beatty. So is that really the best option? Now, if you go out and you add one of those true third basemen we mentioned, whether it's Justin Turner or somebody else, then that allows second base maybe to just be Ronnie Mauricio's job and you feel, I guess, less nervous about it because you've just filled third base with an everyday kind of I-know-what-I'm-getting production. But right now, internally, if you fixed left field with Jeff McNeil, you're now creating a big hole in the infield. So keep that in mind when we use Jeff McNeil as an option here. But this is a part of why McNeil has such value to this team. I know that Jeff McNeil is the kind of guy that we've all talked openly about trading. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Number one, he's coming off a bad year. And when a guy is coming off a bad year, especially for his standards, it's easy as a fan to say, get rid of him. Just move on. But let's not forget how good Jeff McNeil was in 2022. Not only did he win the batting title, hitting 326, but he was also probably the guy you wanted up in a big spot more than anybody else. And he was the only guy who actually showed up in that postseason series. And I don't even know he didn't even hit that much, but it felt like he was hitting more than everybody else in that postseason series. So are we ready to dump Jeff McNeil coming off of a down season? A part of why I'd be hesitant to do it is because of the versatility we talk about. That there is something to be said about a guy that when we have these discussions about filling roster holes, McNeil can be used in multiple ways. He could be the left fielder. He could be the second baseman. He could be the right fielder. So I think when discussing this hole, it would make you less inclined to trade Jeff McNeil because now you're creating another hole. Even if you fix 
a spot in the rotation, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. The other thing to keep in mind when talking about the outfield is, are we all comfortable or are we all forced to just assume, well, Starling Marte is the everyday right fielder, no question. Starling Marte played 86 games last year. He missed a big bulk of the season. And even in 2022, the all-star season he had, he missed a lot of time. Now think about this. He missed 44 games in 2022 and then obviously battled through the postseason playing injured. Had a very good year, no doubt when he was out there, but he missed a lot of time. 2021, the year before that, when he split time between Miami and Oakland, he missed 42 games. He played a full season in 2020. So really the last three seasons, he's missed significant periods of time, especially this past year. So he's on the roster and he's making a lot of money. So you're not getting rid of him. I don't think anyone's suggesting that because there really is no avenue to do that. But can you rely on him to play 140 games, something he hasn't done since 2018? That's the risky thing about Marte. And that's a part of why you need some kind of stalwart out there in the outfield. I would not be comfortable at this moment going into war next season with those four guys of DJ Stewart, Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nimmo, and Starling Marte just being my outfield. They have to add somebody. So that's where I saw it already before we get into the names on it. Someone needs to be added externally. Doesn't have to be a star necessarily, but it's got to be somebody. As far as the young players on the horizon and, hey, can you expect them to help at any point? Jet Williams has openly said he expects to be in the major leagues next year, but Jet Williams is 20 years old. That's it. He's played a bunch of games in center field, but he's still mostly a shortstop. So can he make that adjustment to where you feel comfortable in him as as an outfielder? As a guy that's going to help them this season, I don't know how realistic that is. Luis Angel Acuna, on the other hand, has also played a very, very, very limited amount of time in the outfield. He played four games in center field when he was at AA in the Rangers organization. When he came over the Mets, he only played shortstop and second base. Now, the positive to that, and Jet Williams is included in this as well, when we talk about McNeil going to the outfield, Jet Williams and Luis Angel Acuna, if they can help, in 2024 can certainly be some of the guys that push McNeil to the outfield and they give you more depth at second base. That is certainly possible. The other young player to keep an eye on is Drew Gilbert. Can Drew Gilbert be a guy that helps this team in 2024? I think the other guys I mentioned, specifically Luis Angel Acuna, is probably more realistic. Now, Drew Gilbert is more of a natural outfielder. He is an outfielder and apparently is a very good defensive center fielder or left fielder. Last year, he played at double-A. He played 95 games at double-A. If he could start the year at triple-A and tear it up, I think he's certainly a mid-season possibility. So if I had to rank in order in terms of the likeliness they get to the major leagues, I would guess Acuna would be number one, but he hasn't played a lot of outfield. Drew Gilbert versus Jet Williams. I guess that's kind of close on who would be more likely to come up here. Gilbert is more of a natural outfielder than Jet Williams is. And Jet Williams had that quick rise last year. I guess Drew Gilbert would be ahead mainly because he's played more games at double A. But those options I mentioned, the internal young options, are possibly middle-of-the-season options. They're not guys to come out of spring training and make this team. 
as far as external options are concerned. Let's take a look at some of the free agents and see if any of them are appealing. We'll go one by one. We'll start with a guy I've always liked, but he's old. He's 36 years old. He'll be 37 in May. And talk about having a tough time staying healthy. This guy hasn't been healthy in what seems like a decade, and that's Michael Brantley. Last year, Michael Brantley missed the first, I think, four months of the season. He finally came back really late in the season. I think it was September. So you can't even look at his numbers and draw much of a conclusion. In 2022, he only played 64 games. You want to bring Michael Brantley in on a one-year contract? You have to expect that you're not going to get much out of him. And that's why I've always liked Brantley. He's always been a real good bat-on-ball guy, makes a lot of good contact, can hit for a little bit of pop, hit 22 home runs in 2019. I don't think he's a great option, mainly because you just can't rely on him to stay healthy. And at the age of 37 years old, it seems unlikely that all of a sudden that's going to change now. So I say no. Another outfield option. And this was a guy who last year on the Rico was my, I don't want to say number one option because it was more towards the middle and latter part of the offseason when we were talking about adding a right-handed DH option, a guy to play the outfield. Tommy Pham was a candidate. Turned out to be Tommy Pham. And this guy was very productive when he played. The problem was it was another year in which this guy missed time, which is part of his track record, and that's Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall was a guy I think we were all pretty high on. Good defensive player, really good pop, which this lineup could have used, at least in theory at the time, we thought could have used. And he had 21 home runs last year with the Red Sox in 92 games, which is insane. That's a great clip. That's a 35 home run clip. Problem is he only played 92 games. 2022, the year before with Atlanta, only played 86 games. And when you look at an outfield that includes Starling Marte, who's always hurt, Brandon Nimmo, who the last two years has been healthy, but before that had a checkered pass as far as staying healthy was concerned. I, I'm scared of adding guys who are very unreliable in terms of staying healthy. That would frighten me. But both of those guys are free agents. Another guy who's a free agent is a switch hitting outfielder named Robbie Grossman. Robbie Grossman, very good against left-handed pitching. So a big split in terms of how he performs as a right-hand hitter versus how he performs as a left-hand hitter. And that's consistent across the board. Like, look at last year, 2023, as an example. When he batted left-handed, 206-633 OPS. When he batted right-handed, 309-953 OPS. So I think he's a solid addition on a cheap one-year deal, and he made no money last year. So you're not going to have to pay him much. But I think you need to view Robbie Grossman in the right prism, which is that's a platoon player. Now, are we comfortable going that route? I mean, would we be comfortable going with a DJ Stewart, Robbie Grossman platoon in left field? I think I want more. So let's talk about a guy that could give you more. How about Lourdes Gurriel? Of the Arizona Diamondbacks at 24 home runs last year, had a 770 OPS. What about a guy like Lourdes Scoriel? Is he a guy worth going after? Not bad. I wouldn't mind that. Question is price. That's the real question. One guy I mentioned during the let's build our own offseason plan is Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson also feels kind of similar to Robbie Grossman, that he's more of a more of a part-time guy. He can give you a lot of pop 
as a left-hand hitter. But he's one of those guys who you don't want to play against lefties. So could you go add a Jock Peterson, Robbie Grossman platoon and basically say, all right, Jock, righty's on the mound. Go slug your 800 OPS and a bunch of home runs and go Robbie Grossman against lefties. It's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, I have to admit, it's not. Now, strict platoons are not ideal. You'd rather have a guy that can hit both sides. But Jock Peterson and Robbie Grossman as your tag team combination in the outfield, you could do worse. The bigger ticket item, and I say that because I think it's going to cost a lot, is Teoscar Hernandez. I don't watch, and none of us have watched Teoscar every day. What I hear is he's not great defensively in the outfield. He swing and misses a ton. Like, he struck out 200 times last year. And your reward for watching him strike out 200 times last year was a 740 OPS and 26 home runs. It doesn't feel like that's the the proper reward for watching a guy strike out 200 times. Two years ago with Toronto, in the best season he had of his career, he struck out 148 times and he had 32 home runs. That seems fair. That's the kind of deal I'd feel good with. But last year at age 30, the strikeouts were just, they were insane. Just to put it in perspective, he struck out 31% of the time last year. The major league average is 22%. He only walked 5.6% of the time, the lowest of his major league career. The MLB average is 8.5%. So he was striking out more than ever. He was walking fewer times than ever. And the ultimate reward was 26 home runs. He's probably one of the best options available in free agency amongst the names I've mentioned. But you really want him? Wouldn't that strikeout rate kind of scare you? So those are some of your left fielders available via free agency. Though my mistake, I think Lourdes Correal would be a trade option if we're being accurate. Then you've got kind of lower tier guys. Well, actually, one guy I don't want to leave out because it is important to mention him is Jung Ho Lee. We don't know much about him. He's being posted as well. It looks like he's going to get, you know, maybe a five-year, $85 million deal. His numbers playing in the KBO were, were excellent. And I'd be intrigued by him. I think that's a really, really interesting option. Bat on ball guy, doesn't strike out a lot, showed a little bit of pop in 2022, has a 340 career average in the KBO. He's only 25 years old. He probably is, of all the guys that we're mentioning as free agents, the best option. And a part of why he's the best option is the unknown, the positive unknown. Like all those guys, Brantley and Duval and Grossman and Peterson and Teoscar Hernandez, we kind of know what they are. We've already seen their ceiling. The appealing part about Jung Ho Lee is we haven't. Now, the scary part about that is what if he's a 260 hitter? Now, would we be pleased with that, especially paying him the kind of money he's probably going to get paid? But it's kind of similar to Yamamoto in that we are intrigued by the upside. We are intrigued by the what could be. And when you see a guy that hit 360 in 2021, hit 355. In 2018, even last year, hit 218 when he missed a bunch of time, I think with a fractured leg. He's a 340 career hitter, 340. And last year, he struck out 23 times. 
In 884 games, he has struck out 383 times, or 304 times. So it's worth investigating Jung-Ho Lee as a free agent. Here are some of the other free agent options. Harrison Bader. We mentioned Harrison Bader as an option mainly because of his defense. He is a brilliant gold-glove caliber center fielder. The negative to Harrison Bader is he's not that good. I know he had that nice little run with the Yankees in the postseason a few years ago where Yankee fans fell in love with him. The numbers are the numbers. He's a 240 career hitter. He's a 700 OPS guy. He's got a little bit of pop. He's got a decent amount of speed, but he also never stays healthy. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where you want some reliability in that outfield, especially when you're dealing with another guy in Starling Marte who's always hurt. So the big knock on Bader would be his bat and his health. The ultimate positive for him is that he's really, really good defensively. The other guy who I'm I'm sort of intrigued by, even though we just have to forget what he could have been, and we have to look at what he is today. And it's another guy who has a tough time staying healthy. But last year with the Dodgers was actually pretty productive when he was out there. And that was Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward is still... I'd assume a a decent defensive outfielder. I mean, he hasn't won a gold glove in a long time, but he also hasn't been an everyday player in a long time. Can put him anywhere in the outfield, right field, left field, center field, stick him wherever. If you just forget about what he could have been when he almost won rookie of the year and he was emerging as a star and then got that massive contract from the Cubs that he never lived up to. You know, you get 270, 350 on base, 800 OPS, a little bit of pop out of the outfield. It's not bad. But again, I think you have to view him as a guy that you're not getting 140 games out of. And I wouldn't sign him as the lockdown everyday left fielder. He would just have to be another body in that outfield because they certainly need bodies. He's another guy who you probably don't want half facing lefties. The splits last year were pretty exaggerated between righty and lefty. That's where signing the Robbie Grossman's of the world sort of makes sense. Another guy is Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks is weird because when he went to the Orioles after the Yankees finally got rid of him and and he stayed healthy and and it's the same thing. Another guy who just has a tough time staying healthy. We run into that with a lot of these guys. He was really, really productive for Baltimore. If we think of him strictly as the Yankee, he's a disaster. When you think of what he did for the Orioles, he was productive. But again, I'd probably stay away from him. So if you're looking for somebody that can stay healthy, then I got a guy for you. And it's funny. He's one of the oldest guys on the list. He's going to be 35 years old on opening day, but he not only has a track record of staying healthy, he also is one of those guys like Jeff McNeil who you can stick anywhere. Last year, he played 84 games at second base. He played 81 games in left field. He can play left. He can play right. He can play second base. And that guy is Whit Merrifield, the former longtime Kansas City Royal last couple of years with Toronto. He's not the most productive player in the world. I mean, you can kind of write down his numbers coming into a season. It's going to be about 265, 270, 275. He's going to hit 10 home runs, so not a lot of pop. He's going to give you, you know, a little bit above a 700 OPS kind of in that range. I think what's appealing about Merrifield is the fact that he's reliable. 
He gets on the field. He stays on the field. And he's got pretty good versatility. He doesn't walk a lot for my uh, for my taste. But unlike a lot of the other names we mentioned, it's a guy that you could trust to stay on the field. Those are some of the free agent options. If you're ranking them, I got to be honest with you, I like Bader, but again, I view Bader more as a fourth outfielder, as a guy who will play a little bit of center field, shifting Nimmo over to left, but doesn't really fill the hole we're talking about. I kind of view Bader more as a fourth outfielder. But if you're going to go Bader, or you're going to go Grossman, or you're going to go Peterson, you're going to need two of those guys, or even Adam Duvall. Like all those guys that I mentioned, with the exception of Teoscar Hernandez, really, Jung Ho Lee, those guys have to come in twos, I think, because they're not everyday players and they've got splits where you'd want to try to even it out. So what's your best option amongst the free agent outfielders? To me, Jung Ho Lee is number one just because of the, hey, you never know factor. And if God forbid he puts up those KBO numbers, I think we're all pretty happy. And then the other option after that is some kind of platoon, a Robbie Grossman, Jock Peterson kind of platoon, a Harrison Bader kind of platoon. Now, on the Rico B Gmail, I was called out for some of my opinions on Brandon Nimmo, and I want to address that. Jimmy Kearney writes, I got to call you out, Evan. Left field needs to be filled, but this talk of moving Nimmo, that's an extension of the feelings you've expressed on two segments this season. June 22nd, ripping Nimmo, and August 17th, what happened to Brandon Nimmo? I love that Jimmy has cited the specific podcast from this past season that has caused my rippage of Brandon Nemo, which I'll defend in a second. But let's hear more from Jimmy. You knock Nemo on his defense, lack of base stealing on base, etc. However, a month earlier, you argued Nemo may be the best of center, best defensive center fielder in Met history, surpassing Beltron. I tried to get through and make a case for Nemo, and you promised a deep dive. But why would one be necessary? He arguably put up a career season after signing his big contract. I think he's gone unnoticed because of the crap season. But one, to expect him to steal bases after proving he's good, after never proving he's good at it is ridiculous. His on base has always hovered around 370. This year was no different. Identical batting averages of 274 and 22 and 23 with better power numbers. An offensive upgrade in the outfield is a must. And if they bring in a center fielder who can lead off and move Nimmo to left field, I have no arguments with that. But the idea Nimmo has lost a step because he made a few boneheaded defensive plays after the season was in the toilet is pure garbage. With Marte out for the season, Nimmo has never steadily been a corner outfielder. So if I need to give possible weak excuse for his defensive dip, how's that? Leave Brandon Nimmo alone. Okay. A couple of things. I think Brandon Nimmo, and it's not a couple of boneheaded plays, though there were a couple of boneheaded plays. The ones that jump out of me, I think there was one against the Phillies. There was one against the Yankees. He had some bad defensive moments this season. But I think he went backwards defensively. I stand by that. I do. Because I think that his first step in center field, which has always been a little bit slow, but he's made up for it over the last couple of years by basically catching everything he gets to. I just think watching him this year, he was off a little bit. Now, he wasn't the same guy defensively. Now, I don't think it's a must to move him off center field. I think that if you can get a better defensive center fielder and you're looking to fix left field, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to just shift him to left. 
but that's not dumping him out of center field. I think based on this discussion we've had so far in this podcast, I'm open-minded to anybody that's a human being that's an outfielder. If the guy's good, if the guy helps, bring him in. And the reality is there aren't a lot of center fielders that are better. There just aren't. So the odds are Brandon Nimmo is going to be the opening day center fielder next year. I don't have a big problem with that. It's more I'm calling him out for what I thought was a subpar defensive season. As far as his offensive numbers are concerned, I mean, you're not wrong when you say, hey, look at the basic numbers. They all kind of fall out the same way. His OPS was up by 29 points. His slugging was up. His on-base was virtually the same. His batting average was the same. His home runs were up by eight. Essentially, all of his numbers were the same. One stat where he dipped, not entirely his fault, is runs scored. That's because people aren't driving him in. But the other thing that jumped up, I'd say rather significantly, is he struck out a lot more. His strikeouts really jumped up. Last year, he struck out 17% of the time, which was his lowest rate of his major league career. This year, it jumped back up to 21%, which is more around his career numbers. So his strikeouts went up. His hard hit rate went down quite a bit. But overall, I mean, when you look at his numbers, they do kind of feel similar. I don't think the Mets need to replace Brandon Nimmo by any stretch. I I just think that if you can go out and get a better defensive center fielder, you shift the guy to left field. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it'd be fine in left field. I don't think the adjustment would be all that bad. One other thing about Brandon Nimmo is that his numbers kind of got, and this is what I mean by deep dive, Jimmy. I think his numbers got pushed up a lot by the last month and a half to two months of the season. And that doesn't mean it doesn't count. It's like we talk about Jeff McNeil. And I'm not comparing the seasons that both guys had, but Jeff McNeil, we'd admit, when you look at his final numbers, they're not nearly as bad as the way they looked in July when the season essentially ended. He had a very good month and a half that buoyed his numbers up a little bit. Brandon Nimmo had an atrocious month of July. And that month of July was when the season was spiraling out of control. Doesn't mean I blame him for it. I'm not saying the collapse was because of him. I think the collapse was almost because of everybody. But I think his final numbers turned out to look a lot better than the way they felt in the midst of the season. But overall, he's one of their most important players. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. If the Mets are going to have success in 2024, they're going to need Brandon Nemo to be one of their better players and go out there and play every day. But I give you an example of what I mean by that. When the month of July ended, and you go back to that Baltimore series, and that's really where the Kansas City series before that, but the Baltimore series where the season was essentially over. Brandon Nimmo was at 256-784, which is, eh, is eh, wasn't great. But then he had a very, very hot August, a really good September, and his, all of a sudden his numbers, which started at 260 on August 30th, ended at 274. An OPS that was below 800 on August 30th ends up above 800. So that's all I mean. I get it. You can't hold that against them. Like your final numbers are your final numbers. But when you think about this failure of a season, him having just a brutal July, 
was a part of it. Anyhow, here are some of the trade options to keep an eye on. We've gone through some of the free agents, which I obviously prefer because it just means you sign a guy for money. You don't have to trade anything. And by the way, the trade options are not great. We'll start off with some of the lower-end guys. Right-handed hitting outfielder Tyler O'Neill from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's not much of a hitter, but he's really good defensively. In fact, he won a couple of gold gloves in 2020-2021. He's 28 years old. He's got one more year of arbitration before he's a free agent. Would I take him as a fourth outfielder? Sure. I don't want to give up much. Manuel Margot. We've heard his name a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and I can't really figure out why. He did not play well when he played last year. He's never been a great offensive player. Kind of floats in the high 600s OPS-wise. And defensively, I was looking at his advanced defensive metrics. They're not good either. So I, I got to tell you, I'm not sure the appeal of Manuel Margot. Why? Because he had some big hits against the Mets? That ain't enough of a reason. Another outfielder from St. Louis to keep an eye on is Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson's got a few more years of control, so that's certainly appealing for him. He showed flashes offensively in his rookie season in 2021, but the last couple of years, he's a light-hitting, switch-hitting outfielder. Again, eh, would be my answer. Here's a guy I am intrigued by. Final year of arbitration, final year of his contract with Minnesota, Max Kepler. Max Kepler was such a candidate to have a breakout season for 2023. I think a lot of the advanced metrics kind of showed that. And he went out and he did it. He had 260. He had 24 home runs. Had an 816 OPS. Left-hand hitting right fielder would be a very nice upgrade in the outfield. What you have to give up, that's the scary part. And the appealing part about Max is he is a suitable player against left-handed pitching. He's not a guy that you have to sit because there's a lefty on the mound. So I'm interested in Kepler, but I think the real question is going to be, what do you have to give up? What's the price tag? Another guy, arbitration eligible this year, then a free agent, is Alex Verdugo. Really good defensively, has never lived up to the hype that I think he had after his first year in Boston when he was a part of that Mookie Betts trade. But another guy who... You could stick out and would be a pretty good upgrade in the outfield. Comes down to price tag. Here's the real intriguing one. And this guy's clearly available. And I can't imagine the price tag is that high. But this is one of those high rewards kind of guys that you go after. Last couple of years, you haven't gotten it from him. But maybe he puts it all together and stays healthy. And that's Eloy Jimenez of the Chicago White Sox. He's more of a DH than an outfielder. dh a lot more then played the outfield last year for Chicago. But he's not unplayable in the outfield. He's on a very team-friendly contract. I think he's making about $7 million a year. And then there's team options in 2025 and 2026. The problem with Eloy Jimenez is he has just never come close to what he did as a rookie when he had 31 home runs in 2019. He's missed a lot of time, missed 40 games last year, missed 90 games the year before. Missed 100 games the year before that. What are you getting from Eloy Jimenez? And it comes back to the same question. What do you have to give up? Here's a guy I really like, and I think I mentioned him as part of fake trades a year ago for Carlos Carrasco, but the Baltimore Orioles weren't stupid, so they didn't make the trade. And that's Anthony Santander, who backed up his really strong 2022 by 
putting out pretty much the same numbers. Hit 28 home runs as a switch hitting outfielder, drove in 95 runs, has an 800 OPS. I think the problem would be, even though he's a free agent at the end of the year, so the idea of the Orioles trading him is not nuts, but what's the deal that makes sense? Like, what would make the Orioles trade Anthony Santander right now? They're trying to win at this moment. So is there a win-now player that kind of fits back? Lane Thomas is coming off a really strong year for the Washington Nationals. I think the worry with Lane Thomas, who's still only 28 years old, is, is he really what he was last year? Like, is he now proven to be an everyday solid major leaguer at 28 years old? Had a really good year for Washington. It was almost surprising they didn't trade him before the trade deadline. But he is a trade option for the Nationals. Two more years of control. Get Lane Thomas. Get a couple of those national relievers. Not too bad. But the real dream trade I have, and I've mentioned this on Rico before. I tweeted about it, I'd say, a week or two ago, is when the news came out that the Chicago White Sox are open for business. Yeah, you hear about Heloy Jimenez, we just talked about. But the real apple of my eye would be Luis Robert Jr. Center, field goal, center fielder, goal glover, 26 years old, 38 home runs last year. It would cost a lot. And that would be the one rare trade where I would be willing to open up the cabinets of, of my farm system. I don't want to trade a lot of young players right now this season. But mostly, I don't want to do it for one-year rentals. We're talking about Luis Robert Jr., and we're talking about Dylan Cease. Let's go. So those are some of your trade options, free agent options, internal options. So where do I stand? Where I stand is this. I I am intrigued by Jung Ho Lee. He's my number one option. My number two option would be a Jock Peterson, Robbie Grossman platoon. I know that's not that appealing, and I'm sure I got people going, oh, come on, Evan. Give me more. Look, I'm just giving you a realistic option. Where else are you going? <laughs> you know, if it's not Jung Ho Lee and the White Sox aren't trading Luis Robert Jr., you know, we went through a lot of these options. Where are you going? And I do prefer to buy a free agent as opposed to trading young assets away, especially for guys that are not that good. So if it's not going to be Jung Ho Lee, if you're not going to gamble on the international market like they appear to be doing with Yamamoto, The Peterson-Grossman platoon gives you two bodies in that outfield. One guy mashes righties. One guy mashes lefties. Let's go. Your thoughts on what they should do in left field. The Rico B at gmail.com. The Rico B at gmail.com. Speaking of the mailbag, let's read a few. Michael Capozzi writes, guys love the show. What do you think if we lose out on Otani, Yamamoto, and even Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery? If none of the high-priced pitching options choose the Mets, what's your thoughts on filling out the roster? What does 2024 become? I've been thinking about how the roster will look next year and dreaming about a new ace, but what happens if we can't land any player who signs for $100 million plus? Love an episode where is this discussed. I tried to put a roster together, but it's not easy. So if they miss out on uh, Otani and Yamamoto, and I assume they're going to miss out on Otani, but you never know. And I also assume they're not that hot for Blake Snell. So let's make this simple. If they miss out on Yamamoto, where do they go? I think they're going to look at the trade market. As much as I'm not intrigued by trading young players for one-year rentals, 
Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber. I think they talked to Cleveland and Milwaukee about them. I think they talked to Chicago about Dylan Cease. If that doesn't work, I think what you're looking at is a lot of short-term, let's see, maybe we get a career year out of a guy options, whether it's Luis Severino and Jack Flaherty and guys of that ilk. I don't think they're going to feel compelled to push out multi-year contracts just because they missed out on the number one target. And that's what I think we all fear, that if they miss out on Yamamoto, that's why I started the pod by saying it makes the offseason so much easier because if you sign Yamamoto and all of a sudden you now move on with Yamamoto, Senga, Quintana as your front three, you feel as if, ah, eh, no big deal. I'll take a flyer back of the rotation on Severino or whomever. But if you miss out on Yamamoto, your rotation may be filled out with gambles. And that's a scary thought, and it certainly hurts our hopes in going into 2024. Now, how are we going to have high hopes if the rotation is Senga, Quintana, and basically Prey? Junior writes, I got a question for you guys. I want to see what you guys think about this trade. I'm a big Pete Alonzo fan. I don't want to trade him, but does this make sense? Uh Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Alex Manoa. Well, let's start with this. Alex Manoa, by the way, on its separate, kind of separate level, basically connected to our last email about starting pitching, is a very intriguing buy-low option. But what I just said was buy-low option. Buy-low option. Not a guy who's the centerpiece of a Pete Alonso trade. No, I know the centerpiece is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is an outstanding player who I think his year in 2021, with all due respect to Pete, is better than any year Pete had. So if somehow the Blue Jays were ever in the market of trading Vladimir Guerrero Jr., as much as I love Pete Alonso, forget Alec Manoa for a second, you're making that trade. Despite Guerrero not having a great year last year and actually going backwards the last two years, I think when you factor in his age, when you factor in how good defensively he is, when you factor in the best year of his career in 2021 was probably better than any year Pete had, you probably make that trade. But I don't think the Blue Jays are. I know Vladimir Guerrero still has a few more years of arbitration eligibility, but my assumption would be they want to keep him forever. They would have no intentions of trading him away. Ed Flood writes, Oh, I, you know what? I'm not going to read this one because Ed Flood wants to attack Pete. And since Pete isn't here, I'll save that for the next Rico so Pete can respond. That, that, that has to be the, the fairest way to do it. I, I can't just, I just can't read it and have Pete bashed and say, yeah, I don't know why Pete did that. <laughs> Wait till the next Rico. But don't worry, we got a Rico in a couple of days. Uh, appreciate all the emails. Can't get to all of them, but we will certainly get to as many as we can as the offseason rolls on. The Rico B at gmail.com. The Rico B at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening. Any feedback on left field? Any guys we may have missed? Again, email the Rico B at gmail.com. A lot of Rico's coming up, including breaking news as it starts to come out. And we'll focus on another position group that the Mets may have to look at. What position group is that, you ask? Well, second base. If Jeff McNeil is indeed moved to the outfield, are there second base options for the Mets to look at besides the internal ones they have? We'll focus on that 
in a couple of days. We appreciate you listening and downloading another edition of Rico Brogni. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.